Salutations, everyone, and welcome to the Jabbar Podcast, the Retro Wrestling Report. My name's Warren. How's everybody doing? Fantastic Sunday to you all. We are here to discuss Spring Stampede 1999. A much different uh, WCW pay-per-view than we've discussed before. Um, This one's pretty straightforward and... uh, and to the point, um, but we'll get into it. Uh, let's go to the compadres. Justin Pilcher. Pilch, how are you? I'm doing good, sir. Thank you for having me. Here you go with this mess. Uh, and then brother Chris. Chris, how are you? I'm doing okay. I'm ready to talk about some Spring Stampede. Okay. We can... We could just get right into it. Let's get into uh, it. Let, let's get into it. Where is our... Where is the bell? Oh, uh, no. Where is, is the button? There it is. There's the bell. <laughs> the bell is, is in the computer? It's in the computer? It's, it's something, all right. It's something, all right. Spring Stampede 1999 took place on April 11th, the day after Uncle Joe's birthday, uh, from the Tacoma Dome in Tacoma, Washington. Attendance, 17,690 people. Uh, arena looked pretty pretty packed uh, from the initial uh, wide shot. Um any uh as if you can't, can't probably tell I'll be hosting this week and it'll be Justin Pilcher taking on Chris Lee for the scoring uh any opening thoughts here uh let's start off with uh with Uncle Chris uh opening thoughts I was uh really hoping for some some good good Scott Steiner one-liners um but alas uh, we didn't get any any gold from Scott Steiner this this evening. Um, Tacoma so in Tacoma, Washington, Tacoma Dome attendance seventeen thousand six hundred ninety. Uh, I will I will say on the the poster for Spring Stampede ninety nine it says somebody's gonna get somebody's getting dusted. I don't know what that means, but somebody got dusted. Whatever that whatever means. it is, I don't know what it means. Uh, Justin Pilcher, your initial thoughts here for Spring Stampede 1999. Um, I thought the uh, opening video package was really good. Probably the best video package we've seen from WCW to date. Um, <clears throat> not to say it was good, but compared to you know what we've had previously, it's definitely a step in the right direction for him. Um, I also think it's weird that every time we do a WCW pay-per-view, it's always in weird places. Like, you know, we watch WWE, it's like Madison Square Garden or, you know, like these big venues. And it's like WCW live from Tacoma. And I'm like, what? Where is Tacoma, Washington? (laughs) Um, 
you know, I guess it's their thing. Uh, yeah, no, I was really looking forward to this one. Um, we don't, I, I've usually picked stuff in the eighties. Uh, it's burned me the last few times. So I decided to, you know, do something a little bit more contemporary, I guess, but yeah, well, you mm-hmm. know, I think it's going to be good. I like the, uh, the booth. We got Mike Tanay, Bobby, the Brian and, uh, Ski of Own. You know, a great trio, in my opinion. You know, I think it's going to be good. And Skiavone, Tony Schiavone is in the booth here. Um, Skiavone, that's a good one. Um, WCW, in my opinion, had the best generic rock music for their video packages. Um and I do agree. This one's probably the better one of the better video packages for WCW that we saw. Um, the last one that I can remember off the top of my head was the one that involved the Outsiders, um, where you couldn't hear the audio of the vid- of the clip, but you heard the music was really loud, and they had the newspaper clippings coming across the screen. It was just put together strangely. This one, not so much. I like the way this one was put together. Mm-hmm. Um. But let's get to the opening contest. It is Juventud Guerrera, a maskless Juventud Guerrera, taking on Blitzkrieg. Uh, Juventud gets the win here. Uh, let's start it off with Chris. Chris, your thoughts. Juventud Guerrera taking on Blitzkrieg. Uh, I really like this match. I love Hoovy Juice. I'm sipping the Hoovy juice all night long. Um, Blitzkrieg, I had no idea who this guy was. Um, I don't think I've ever seen him before or since. Uh, but, I mean, this match as a whole was great. Very high energy. Um, a lot of great spots. Um, and I do, I will say this. Having the three whitest guys commentate for Lucha Libre wrestling and trying to like make sense of it is fun to watch and listen to. They just, they don't know. (laughs) This is like before these moves, a lot of these moves that they're doing are like very commonplace now. Because a lot of the wrestlers nowadays grew up watching these guys and, you know, incorporated those moves into their move set. So now it's all. Just this is these are regular schmegler moves that people do now. But back then, this was like newfangled. Whoa, what? No, like because we're coming out of the golden age. You know, we're coming out of a, you know, arm ringer, hammer lock, arm ringer, hammer lock, you know, kind of match set. And, you know, they're throwing they're springboarding off of everything. They're doing head scissors. They're doing hurricane ranas and. You know, they keep calling them Frankensteiners because that's what they know it as. And, uh, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Tanay, I think, is their uh, Lucha Libre expert. <laughs> and he's trying he, to, you know. For sure, their international wrestling expert. Yeah. Oh. And Heenan isn't having it. He just, he's uh, the Hirachiana, whatever you want to call it, is a. Hurricane Rana, Bobby. Hurricane. Yeah, whatever you, whatever Tanae said. That thing is crazy. It's just like Bobby Heenan isn't about it. Bobby Heenan wants to see some white men wrestling some white men. That's it. <laughs> Give me a headlock clothesline. That's what I want. 
Bobby Heenan ain't got time for this Lucha Libre, Luncha, Lunchable, whatever wrestling he's got going on. <laughs> he, he ain't having it. Um, classic but yeah, Brian. Really he's classic Brian. <laughs> It was, it was a really fun match. I really enjoyed it. I see, and uh, um, this is the second, I will say this is the second time we've watched a WCW match and that the opening match was my favorite on the card. Gotcha. And again, another cruiserweight match Sorry? too. It was a cruiserweight match as well. Yes. Later on, we'll get a cruiserweight title match with Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman. Um, Pilch, what do you got for this match, Hooventud and Blitzkrieg? So, first and foremost, I uh, uh, talked to Chris a couple days ago on the phone. We were going through the card in this match, and he said, this was the opener. And I said, do you know who Blitzkrieg is? And he goes, no, do you? And I go, no, but I'd imagine he's some, like, big German Nazi guy. And, uh, yeah, way off on that one. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's the complete opposite. And I did, and I didn't necessarily know who Blitzkrieg was uh, just looking at the card. Mm-hmm. So I did have to throw him in the Google machine, and uh, I guess he's just a regular schmegler guy. His uh, given name was Jeremiah Ross. Old Blitzkrieg. Um, he, al- he also he also wrestled under the name of the Fabulous Blitzkrieg. Oh well, that ex- I knew who that was. But not just <laughs> oh the fabulous blitzkrieg yeah oh. that's they're the same they're the same blitzkrieg oh, in case you okay. that makes that 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 clears it up right there Pilch. yeah yeah that, that was our confusion um <laughs> I like the fact that they made this uh, number one contender match for the cruiserweight title I thought it added a little punch to a match that otherwise wouldn't have had it. You know, gave mm-hmm. a little background as to why these guys are, you know, going all out. Um, yep. You know, at one point, Guerrera tugs on the mask of Blitzkrieg. They made like a huge deal that the booth, like, oh, no, 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 you don't tug on the mask. And even at one, one, one point, Blitzkrieg looked back at Guerrera and like banged his finger at him, like, don't touch my mask. And I thought that was funny. Um, there's two huge spots by Blitzkrieg that were awesome. When he did that cartwheel back elbow when Guerrero was in the corner, it was a fantastic spot. And also when he did mm-hmm. that huge moonsault to the outside where he, he ran from the other rope, jumped on top of the rope, spun around, then did the moonsault. I thought that was great. Um, mm-hmm. With that being said, there were two botches in this match, though. Like uh, both top rope moves by Blitzkrieg were real weird. Um, the first one, it looked like he just kind of like lost control of Guerrera. Like maybe he just like yep. slipped or something. Then Blitzkrieg pretty much fell on his face. And uh, the other one was kind of the same deal. It's like they they almost got a little too fancy for what they were trying to do, but they would have been a little bit better off maybe just doing like the regular Hurricane Rana instead of, you know, or a Frankensteiner, depending on what you want to call it. Um, I think every juice company in the world missed a golden opportunity for sponsorship with uh, Hoovy. You know, he, he even puts the juices real on his those tights, you know, that could be, that's a great ocean spray slogan, in my opinion. Yeah, why not? The, the top rope Hoovy driver for the win was great. Um, I would have called it an avalanche Hoovy driver. I like the super Hoovy driver. I thought that was a good name for it. Um, mm. 
Yeah, I mean, outside of those two weird top rope moves, I mean, it, it was a good match. I mean, Juventud Guerrero is awesome. You know, I didn't know who Blitzkrieg was, but I thought he performed well here too. And, you know, it's a it's a good opener. Got you right into it. The crowd was behind it the whole way. You know, great match. So uh, so I had a couple notes. Um, first, uh, Tony Schiavone said, uh, you heard what David Pender said. I'm like, no, I really didn't hear what David Pender said when he announced that it was for the number one contendership. Um, I did. The, for some, I, I couldn't hear it. The For some reason, WCW had this thing where only certain matches you were able to fully hear what the announce, the ring announcer was saying. Um like towards like the main event or something like that. But other matches, I couldn't hear it at all. Um, and it, it's not, this isn't the first time. This is, this is something that always seemed to happen. Um, Blitzkrieg came out to my favorite generic WCW theme. Um, I don't know why that is my favorite generic WCW theme. And other talents from back in the day have used it, um, but it just was. Uh, no Mask Hoobie. Uh, juice is the best version of Hoovy Juice. Uh, and that Hoovy driver from the top rope was such a dangerous looking spot. Um, little too spotty for me. It seemed like they were did too much like getting into a spot, to, getting into a certain position to do a move, uh, especially some of the dives on the outside. But it was all in all a good match, and uh, same as you guys. I wasn't necessarily didn't necessarily know what to expect from Blitzkrieg. I knew what Hoovitude could do, um, but they put on a very good match. And this is trademark WCW to open the pay per view uh, with a solid cruiserweight match, and um, to get everybody uh, get the crowd going. So, moving on. It is a hardcore match with Hack, a.k.a. the Sandman, taking on Bam Bam Bigelow here. Hack is out here with, uh, they they built her as Raven's sister, Chastity, um, even though uh, for some reason throughout the most of the match, I want to say they called her Chastity when they first came out. But then everything else was the girl, the girl, the girl, until the very end when they started calling her chastity again. I thought that was really weird. They also referred to her as Sparky. Yeah, Sparky. Yeah, I, I think, <laughs> I think um, Heenan at uh, was just giving her a nickname at that point. It was like they couldn't remember her name, or or was it that they didn't want to call her chastity for whatever reason? Um, but I thought that was weird. Uh, Pilch. Let's start with you. What do you have for uh, for this match here? Hardcore match with Hack and uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, you know, I like this pay-per-view because I think sometimes when we watch these mid to late 90s pay-per-view, there's a little bit too much hardcore. Uh, this was the only hardcore match of the night. And, you know, I, I'm cool with one. You know, give me one. You know, I want to yes. watch two people beat the tar out of each other once. I don't want to watch it every match. So I like that. Um when hack came out he had the uh the table with him and that barbed wire wrapped around his chest and i it made mm-hmm. me giggle when bobby said you don't want to give hack a hug i thought <laughs> that was really good <laughs> uh and then there is like that creepy spot where shivani was talking about how like he like wanted to get with chastity 
And then today and Brian were like, no, no, no. You mean like she's doing really good work in the ring? He's like, no, no, no. She's hot. Like, I want to get with her. They like gave him a way out. And he just didn't take it. He's like, no, no, no. That's not what I meant at all. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Tony Schiavone is such a, a creep. <laughs> he really such is. Such a creep. But it's, um, it's, it's I great. I don't listen to uh, his podcast with Conrad. No particular reason. I just I listen to the other four. Plus, I have other podcasts that I listen to. I don't know if I have a time to squeeze in another another podcast. Um, but the sense that I get from hearing Conrad talk on other podcasts about Shivani is he's just he's just a creeper. Yeah, I see that. Um. Bam Bam came out with the uh, what I call the card of death, which was just a bunch of random crap he got from like catering and, you know, it looks like a, a hardware store. Just put it all in like a little cart. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit hack with it immediately. Like this match didn't even get like 10 feet from the entranceway before it started. Um, that hidden table spot was great when he pulled the table out from underneath the, the pile of hay. And then he proceeded to do a somersault off the wagon. Who hides a, cha- a table there? Hack does. Hack. Apparently, apparently, hack does. And then I thought it was I thought it was actually genius when they had the spot and then they had Chastity unload all the stuff from the cart into the ring. I thought that was great. You know, kind of cut down the runtime of this <laughs> match. You know, we didn't have to worry about them. You know, hitting hitting one and then somebody stumbling and getting something else. Like it was just all out in the open. Like just let's let's make it happen. Um, mm-hmm. there's some weird things in the cart though, like. There was that. There was a mixing bowl. There was a salad bowl. There was a cookie sheet. There was a broom that hadn't even been unwrapped yet. It was brand new. You know, he couldn't have got one that was used already. <laughs> the prop guy, I guess, was was running behind yeah, on getting things. He just got back um, from the Home Depot. Just right. got back from Home Depot. Didn't even have time to take the plastic off of the broom. You know, Brian even said it looked like it was a fight in a garage sale. Uh, yes. For a hardcore match, there is surprisingly very little blood. If it, I don't think there was any actually, I don't think and the only spot that like made me cringe was the one where uh, I think it was uh, was it Hack that got hit. Yeah, it was Bam Bam hit Hack in the head with the cookie sheet. Which, out of all the things in that cart and around the ring, I didn't know the cookie sheet was going to be the thing that made me cringe the most. But he he really cracked him in the head with it. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think I've ever cringed like even even to this day when we've watched pay-per-views for here for the triple r podcast um i don't think i've cringed on a cookie sheet chairs yes um dangerous drops on the head and neck yes but not so much a cookie sheet i agree and not that i've ever been hit with a cookie sheet either uh yeah and then we we that leads into that like weird suplex spot where like hack like twists his knee and it looked like Bam Bam Bigelow also twisted his knee. I don't know if like mm-hmm. he just couldn't lift him up and that was a, a work to like get out of it. But I mean the knee injury never came back after that, which I thought was strange. Um the the knee injury I the knee injury disappeared as soon as he dug the ladder Well that's what that, that was the part that was strange was he he hurts his knee, and his first thought process is, like, "Oh, you know what? I'll fix this. I'll get a twelve foot ladder out." You know, like that doesn't make exactly. Any sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, throughout at this point, 
the the ring is just disheveled and the brian is really concerned about the mess in the ring like he brings it up three or four times he's like i don't know who's gonna clean this up i'm not doing it but it's gonna take hours to get this mess cleaned up and blah, blah, blah. uh let's see and then there is the spot where hack set the the table up on the outside and he knew as soon as he set it up he was the one that was gonna go through it right i mean that's just how it always works and so he he gets thrown off the ladder through the table and chastity's just standing over him just yelling at him to get up she's like get up get up it's time to fight and i was just like he almost died and she just doesn't care <laughs> just get up um you know then hack did the leg drop uh he pretty much just hit his own balls on the the rail you know again he set up the rail so he knew it was gonna happen um, the fire extinguisher spot was awesome. I <laughs> I love that. And the crowd loved it too. It was great when she came yeah. in and she couldn't get it on. Then bam, bam, just freaking squirts it at her and she flies out of the ring. Oh, it was so good. Um, the ending was very, very dangerous because I don't think that they knew that that fire extinguisher was under that table. And I think both men were lucky. They didn't crack their skulls on that fire extinguisher at the very bottom. And, uh, you know, in the words of Bobby the Brian Heenan, when you smell smoke, there is fire. So, you know, that's pretty much it. <laughs> uh, Uncle Chris, what do you got? So, this hardcore match, I felt like... Uh, was it entertaining? Yes, it was very entertaining. Um, I think it was more entertaining listening to... <laughs> The commentators enjoying the hardcore match because every spot they're like, oh boy, here we go. And then Heenan would have some zinger or something about, I don't know. And here's the wind up and boom. They were just on the edge of their seats the entire time waiting for them to just like smack somebody with the, with the, the cookie sheet or the, the trash can or, or whatever. Um, The one thing that I did not like about this match is that Tony Schiavone kept kept underselling the damage being done in this match. When he kept referring to the trash can, it's like, it doesn't hurt that much, but it just makes a loud sound. And like a lot of things he kept trying to remind us, it's just aluminum. It's not like hard metal. It's aluminum. And like he I don't know if he if they were trying to make sure that the fans or you know, in case there were kids watching, knew that this stuff is like they're not really getting hurt. Don't worry about it. It's not that dangerous. It just looks really bad. But in actuality, they're fine. Like they kept like trying to sink that in. And I think that takes away from the the drama of a hardcore match. Yeah, that I don't think that that is that thought process of of worrying about what the kids think isn't the thing here in 1999. Mm. Um, that was one of the things that I did not like about this match, whether it was from Tony's side of underselling the damage, or was it? Was it from Tony's side of underselling the damage? Or was it the fact that Hack and Bam Bam Bigelow weren't selling the damage as much as they should have? I think they sold no it sale fine. This, uh, I think 
I think they were fine with selling it. Um, so, so there were a number of times where a big move would happen or a weapon move would happen. For example, the very first big spot with the Roland Centon uh, by hack off of the, the horse carriage through Bam Bam and through the table. Bam Bam's the first one that gets up and he's got control of the match after that spot happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not selling. Right. Then the the hack hurts his knee uh, on the suplex, but then magically rolls out of the ring, gets the ladder, and he's fine. That's not selling. Um, there was another m- spot. I don't think I wrote it down, but there was another spot where they had to move on the outside of the ring. Um, Bam Bam, I think, throws Hacks head into the guardrail and then rolls him in the ring. But then as Bam Bam's getting in the ring, uh, he drop kicks the rope and the rope hits Bam Bam in the head. Mm. Like again, not not really selling it too much. Um, no, I'm sorry. That was after the. That wasn't after the the railing shot. That was after the the ladder spot where Hat goes through the table, outside the ring. Where he set he set that ladder up strangely close to the ropes, yeah. and then she resets up the table that it fell down after Hack set it up. Um. It's almost like Hack set it up just so, or Chassis set it up just so Hack could send him through right. it. And then Hack's pulling himself, or Bam Bam's pulling himself up on the ropes for him to fall. It was just, there were just a lot of spots where I could see why Tony might be perturbed. After a move or something happens to where, oh, they're just still fighting. Didn't give it a chance it to bring like he was perturbed about it. It was more like an explit uh uh what do you like explain what's the word? Explanation. Not explanation, it's like explit not expletive. Explatory? Is that the word? Something like that. He's, he, it just sounded like he was trying to explain why, like, it was trying to explain that this isn't real. Gotcha. And I felt like that was taking away from the, you know, the carnage of it that it was supposed to be. It's like, oh, yeah, I know the, the trash can, it like sounds really loud and it sounds bad, but it's not, it doesn't hurt that much. Because yeah. then, no, then I, they hit with the something else. I think when they hit with the the cookie sheets, like that, that that's no trash can. And like Heenan says something like, that's no trash can. That's going to hurt. And like, blah, blah, blah. And like, and then with the ladder, he's like, oh, don't worry. The ladder's aluminum. Like, it's, he just kept making sure that we knew that this metal stuff that they were using, it's, it's just aluminum. It's not like it's hard steel, like blah, blah, blah. blah. And I just thought, you don't need to say that. Like you can just metal trash can. That's it. Just say metal trash can. Yeah. Say metal ladder. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think um I don't think either party, whether it was Hack and Bam Bam Bigelow or Tony on play by play, helped the other with putting this match out and making it I don't want to say believable. 
making it legitimate. Mm-hmm. I think each party played a part in taking away from the legitimacy of the match as a whole. Right. Um, we did get a chance to see a white Russian leg sweep, which was, um, which is always nice, but that was the other one. He did a white Russian leg sweep, which is the leg sweep with the, the Singapore cane involved. Um, but then Bam Bam was the one that was up first climbing or was climbing up to the top rope after the move. Didn't get a chance to sell it. He just kind of took it and rolled and moved over and. It's, I don't know. It, it could have been better, is what I'll say. That's what I'll say. Well, I don't know. I didn't really notice that part of it during the match. I got you. Uh, so let's move on. To, I don't know why this match is here. It's Scotty Riggs taking on one Mikey Whipwreck. I don't understand uh, 1999 WCW here where they just chose to take a lot of ECW talent here. Um, They said, but, they said uh, this match wasn't originally on the card. Like they added it last minute. Why they should. why they added it last minute? I don't know. They didn't exactly. They they should have a hundred percent. And I like Mikey Whipwreck. Um, they should have a hundred percent just left it off the card, or saved it for Nitro the next night. Doesn't need to be here. Uh, let's start with you, Chris. What do you got for Scotty Riggs and Mikey Whipwreck? I mean, this is a skip. This is a skip match. There's no reason to watch it. <laughs> Um, no one was into it. I wasn't into it. The people that were in the, in the audience weren't into it. They halfway through, or maybe even a little more half, less than halfway, less than halfway, more than halfway. Early in the match, they started chanting "boring," like for a very long time. <laughs> and uh, I just there was nothing. I don't know. I mean, Scotty Riggs. Kind of like a poor man's Rick Rude coming out and gyrating. And then, you know, this garbage pail kid comes out. Mikey Whipwreck <laughs> with, I don't know, some sweet dragon t-shirt he found in the garbage. And his mom's pantyhose. Like, I don't know what he's wearing. He just looks like a moron. Has a do-rag on for some reason. And I think that was just a regular bandana. Whatever. He looks stupid. <laughs> and uh just i mean mikey whipwreck is the reason why i thought the way you get jobbers i had no idea that jobbers were like actual guys in the business i thought it was like you go if you went to the arena early enough they would come out and be like hey you person on the street, you want to be in a wrestling match, and then you get to be in the wrestling. I thought they just grabbed these people on the re- off of the street, and Mikey Whipwreck looks like somebody they grabbed off of the street. Like, hey man, come get beat up for a little bit. 
Now I I will um like I said I am a fan of Mikey Whipwreck. Um he's a long-standing guy in ECW. Um one of the very first ECW champions. Um he had left ECW, came here to to WCW and then when he went back to ECW is when he started to form his tag team with Tajiri and um uh, oh the sinister minister James uh I can't remember his name James Mitchell I believe his name is um the second incarnation of of Mikey Whipwreck in ECW with Tajiri was a much better version of the than the original um but this version of Mikey Whipwreck is just kind of it is what it is and uh, WCW is not going to be willing to put the time in to build uh, Mikey Whipwreck, Mikey Whipwreck up like they did in ECW. He's just going to be that jobber, that uh, opening guy that you know does what he does. Pilch, what do you got for this match? It's probably not much. Uh. Um, yeah, like Chris said, this was the the cool down match of all cool down matches. Why it was out of the card, who knows? Uh, I have never watched a match on a pay per view where the crowd is a this angry that the match is happening, and b throughout the rest of it just completely flat. Like they're they're like they they tried to hit a couple big spots throughout this match, and they just like didn't give a shit. They like looked and like rolled their eyes. Um, Chris made mention that he thinks Scotty Riggs is like uh, has like a Robert Rude gimmick. Rick Rude, um, Rick Rude. No, Rick Rude. Not, not Robert Rick Rude. Rick Rude. My, my apologies. I think he's more of like a uh, drugstore like Val Venus at this point, which is also <laughs> Rick Rude. <laughs> yeah, but Val Venus is great. Rick, you know, Scotty Riggs is the worst. Um, yeah, he's he's the he's the worst personified. There is a that spot where um, Whipwreck hit the big move, went for the pin, and uh, it was like a two count because Riggs had his foot on the rope, and Riggs did this thing with his hand where he did like the the rodeo lasso, and the the announcers were like, "Oh, he's he's pointing out to the ref that like uh, his foot's on the rope," and I took it like this guy's like. This match sucks. We need it to end. And it almost looked like, let's get this going. We need <laughs> this. This has got to get over. And, you know, about 30 seconds later, he hit him with a clothesline, devastating clothesline that ended the uh, the match. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think uh, I think it was terrible. I think the two wrestlers realized it was terrible and they got out of there as quickly as they could before um, the pay-per-view lost all momentum. So. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. There's not really a whole heck of a lot to talk about here. Yeah, um, I think we uh, we can all agree that uh, Scotty Riggs here was a definitely a low budget Rick Rude slash Valvinus. Um, just didn't just didn't work. Um, I I always wondered where Mikey Whipwreck got his shirts from. I think he got it from random dragon t-shirts are us. Um, I mentioned that this area WCW signed a lot of ECW talent. 
and made them do random hardcore things in a match, even if they weren't in a hardcore match, where Mikey Wickrep took that bump off of the apron where he hit his head on the, the guardrail. I mean, there was really no reason for that to be in the match other than, he, oh, he's from ECW. We have to do something hardcore. Uh, and a, a flying forearm from Scotty Riggs is his finishing maneuver. Um, not great. Uh, this match did not need to be here. It needed to be on uh, WCW Saturday night. That was a much that would be a much much better spot for it. Um, dark but match. We're going to dark match. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to it being a dark match either. Not opposed, but we're going to move on to a much better match. Conan is taking on the Disco Inferno here. Conan is, uh, I want to say, just out of the NWO Wolfpack here. And for some reason, Disco Inferno is in the NWO Wolfpack here. Um, I don't think I ever remember Disco being in the Wolfpack, and that's probably... He's probably the worst member of the NWL. I'd be willing to put money on that. Um, Justin Pilcher, what do you have for Conan versus Disco Inferno? Um, first and foremost, I, I disagree with that take completely. I love Disco Inferno. No, no, no. I don't dislike Disco Inferno. I like Disco Inferno. I just didn't remember him being in the NWO Wolfpack. Um, I do only because, well, I don't really remember it, but he, that was like a, it was a really funny part of that Monday Night Wars documentary. Did you ever watch that? Uh, of course. Yeah. Like one of the later episodes, you know, when WCW is falling apart, they had an interview. I think it was Scott Hall and he was saying about how they just let anybody in. And he's like, and then we let in this fucking idiot. Disco Inferno. I don't know why the fuck we let him in there. So, that, I mean, that's really the only reason I remember him being part of the NWO Wolfpack. Yeah. Uh, I But I do think that was a bad decision because when Conan comes out and he, you know, he gives his little, he does his Conan, you know, promo, which he always does. He is, he is so over. Like, even after that horrible match we just went to, like, he immediately got the crowd back up. Like, they, they love Conan. Um, absolutely disco inferno is just cool man he comes out he's wearing camo pants camo disco pants uh like some kind of shiny shirt and like a shiny cowboy hat and he he's like he's an awful dancer like he can't dance and but he he's going for it the whole way i think that i think that's the gimmick like the honky talk man couldn't really play guitar but you take that back yeah, Stop, that. Chris. Come on, Chris. He's the songbird of our generation. You take that back. He's the honky tonk man. I'm the honky tonk man. Being a songbird has nothing to do with your ability to play the guitar. <laughs> this is just like Jeff Jarrett not being able to sing when he was in WCW or when he was in WWE the first time, and he had the country superstar gimmick. But he did sing. He sang that song. He didn't sing the song, Chris. I see. I saw him sing the song. 
Chris, <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember the storyline? I remember Jeff Jarrett sang the song. Remember, remember the concert that he did, uh-huh. right? It, it, the storyline was he didn't really sing it. His his roadie sang it. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Road Dog was the one that actually sang the song. Well, how do you not remember that? That was a pivotal moment in WWE. I don't know. Stuff happened. Incredible, incredibly pivotal. My English is not great today. Um, uh, Pilch, you got anything else uh, before we move over to Chris? I got a couple other things. Um, they okay. mentioned that uh, w- during this little rivalry they were having that there would be a bunch of run-ins on Conan by a masked luchador by the name of La Cucaracha, which I thought was obviously it was just Disco Inferno and a luchador mask, but yeah. that's fantastic. Um, you know, this is the battle of the camo pants, which is great. Um, Conan calls Disco Inferno a strawberry at one point, and um, that's an insult I had never heard before, so I did a little uh, research and mm-hmm. apparently a strawberry is someone who exchanges sex for drugs. So a prostitute, but without cash being handed over, it's uh, drug paraphernalia, which, you know, that's that's pretty insulting for such a nice word. So was it exchanges sex for drugs or uses the earnings for drugs? Uh, according to internetslang.com, it's someone who exchanges sex for drugs. And uh, I would venture to guess that the good folks at internetslang.com would not lie to me. So it's a very reputable source is internetslang.com. <laughs> um, a lot of a lot of use of the the finger guns by Disco Inferno, which I love. You know, every every white guy you know has a good finger gun, and he has one of the best. You know, I mean, the match was good. I mean, there really wasn't, you know, Disco Inferno was, you know, pretty much in control most of the match. Uh, K-Dog gets mm-hmm. him with the, the Stone Cold Stunner. I know he doesn't call it that, but I will. And uh, at the end, after the one, two, three, Conan dances, and he's a way better dancer than Disco Inferno. So maybe he should be the new Disco Inferno. Who knows? But <laughs> I liked it. It was a good match. I mean, it. I, you could tell that the crowd really likes uh, Conan, and I think this was a good match to have here because someone needed to bring them back alive because they were dead after that Scotty yeah. Riggs debacle. Absolutely. Chris, what do you got? Disco Inferno versus Conan. You know, this match may have gotten the crowd back, but it didn't get Chris Lee back. I was not a fan. Oh. Um, I felt like Conan got blown up real early and it was gassed. The entire match. Mm-hmm. Um, Disco Inferno, I'm like... I'm like on the fence. Like, I think I like him as like the comedy aspect of him, but as a wrestler, I don't like Disco Inferno. Mm-hmm. So this match was just kind of like blah for me. Um, Conan wasn't... I don't know. Maybe he just had a bad night. You know, you can't be expected to be you know, a hundred percent all the time. Um, I don't know. It just wasn't, I wasn't, wasn't really feeling it. 
so I had a couple things. Um, there was a spot here where uh, Conan does a drop down, does a leapfrog, and then no, Ewok. Let me start over. Conan does a hip toss to Crisco Inferno. Then his follow up, he hits the ropes, and it just looks like he runs and dives out of the ring. What was supposed to happen was it was supposed to run at Disco Inferno and Disco Inferno throws him out the ring. But it looked more like Conan was just did it and then Disco Inferno just had to catch up to make it look like he did it. It just looked weird. Um, and then another spot of people not selling, uh, Disco Inferno goes headfirst into the rail Oh, no, this is where the kicking in the rope spot happens. Disco Inferno goes headfirst into the rail, and then Conan tries to throw him back in, but as before Conan can climb in, Disco Inferno jumps up and drop kicks the middle rope to send Conan back in, back outside. And even uh, Tony Schiavone acknowledged that, you know, he hit the guardrail and then wasn't really selling it. Um, the very end of the match... Uh, sequence looked incredibly forced. Um, almost like how you mentioned Pilch, where Scotty Riggs was trying to say, Hey, let's wrap this up. Um, it seems like the Disco Inferno and Conan got to a point where it's like, Okay, let's go home. And now it's just, We're this is how we plan the finish to do this, 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 boom, boom, finish is done. Um, didn't look fluid at all. Uh, just looked like they were trying to get out of the match as well. Um, but, uh, I think all in all, it wasn't a bad match. Like I said, I don't hate Disco Inferno. I do like Conan. Um, I thought they, they had a good match together. Just a few things in there just didn't really make, uh, sense to me, but let's move on here to the cruiserweight title match between the current WCW Tag Team Champions, Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman. Um, also, maskless Rey Mysterio here uh, to take on Billy Kidman. Chris, uh, I know this was probably uh, the, the first match that you were looking forward to seeing because of how big of a fan you are of Cruiserweight Wrestling and of Billy Kidman. True. What True are your that. thoughts? Um, really like this match. Um, I did not realize these guys were also the tag team champions, uh, going up against each other for the cruiserweight championship. So that was a very, true. uh, you know, interesting dynamic to the match. You know, how are these guys going to, you know, have this battle and then still be tag champs together? Um, but it, I mean, it was a very exciting match. Uh, I don't think we got to see a shooting star press out of Bill and Kidman. I don't think he ever lands it. Um, there was the one he did to like the outside off of the apron, but yeah, yeah, Billy. Unfortunately, Billy Kidman never got a chance to hit his his signature finisher. Um, Ray Mysterio, however, has I didn't know this was his finisher. I guess this is new one. Uh, a top rope bulldog. Um, Did you know he had that as a finisher? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I know he's he's done those before. I know the uh, 
his he also had a top rope uh Frankensteiner that was a, a big part of his arsenal. He hit that. He hit that they were time. two I think there were two ropes botches in this. They had two top rope spots that like they dropped each other. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. I think it was one was supposed to be a Hurricane Rana that they messed up on. And then another one was what was it? I think Billy Kid. Oh, wait, was it in this match or was it a different match? I'm thinking of. I can't. That's a that's think, a very good question. I think you're thinking of the Blitzkrieg Hoovy match. Maybe I am thinking of Blitzkrieg Hoovy. Um, but anywho, yeah. Uh, un- unfortunately, uh, Billy Kidman. Uh, doesn't pick up a W in this one. Uh, Ray Mysterio retains his cruiserweight championship. Um, took two top rope bulldogs to do it, but uh, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was very very. I thought it was very exciting. It was high energy, um, just what you expect out of a cruiserweight title match. A lot of dives. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I really liked it. And not not too many dives either. I think the um this match was better with not making with not making it look like it was a planned dive spot. They they wrestled more a lot more fluidly than right. Blitzkrieg and uh Hoovy did. Not that that was a bad match, it just seemed like there was more like I said, it was more set up saying let's prepare for this than this match with Mysterio and Kidman was kind of just fluid, bang, 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 bang the whole way. Mm. Pilch, what do you got? Cruiserweight title match. So I, I actually, I'm glad you brought that up, Warren, because I, I have a little bit of a different take. Is I, I agree, it wasn't as you know high risk, high flying, but it seemed that the crowd was actually kind of flat for this match, which kind of surprised me, and I think. The reason why is they probably expected this like crazy high energy jumping off the top rope, just insane moves. And we didn't really get that here. Not that I'm saying it's a bad thing. It's just this was a lot more. You know, fluid's a great word. It was a lot more fluid of a match. It seemed like everything was done a little bit more intentionally. Um, You know, the pace wasn't as breakneck as I thought it was going to be. Chris pretty much said everything I, you know, I had on here. You know, there's a lot of head scissors, a lot of hurricane ranas. Um, I had really high expectations for this match, and I, to me, it was good. It just didn't live up to what I thought it was going to be. Um, so I saw. I had two things. One. There's a long stretch in the very beginning of the match where you don't hear commentary. Um, I don't know why that was cut like that. Um, I don't know if that's just how the pay-per-view was. Um, not sure. I don't have any any other information. And I couldn't find any other information on it uh, about that. Um, there was a very scary-looking spot on the outside early in the match where uh, Kidman was near the guardrail and Ray does a head scissors, 
But as Ray's coming around, he bangs his head onto the steel steps. Um, so that was not great. Yeah, he had uh, a good looking knot on his head from that too. I don't know if you saw that or not. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Um, and the whole match, referee, probably the I'd say one of the top officials in WCW, Randy Anderson here. All of his counts were ridiculously fast. Um, I don't know why. Maybe that was just how he counted. It just looked like like he was trying to not get paid by the hour here. He was trying to get paid by, I don't know, trying to get out of there quickly, it seemed. Um, but I do think this was a very good match. Um, a sl- slightly better than the previous Cruiserweight match. Um I didn't necessarily notice it at first, but I do agree that the crowd wasn't into this match as much as I expected. Maybe it was because maybe it was because that they were the tag champs and usually in a match you're going to figure out who you're going to cheer for, who you're going to boo at first. But when you're doing a face in a face, uh, you don't necessarily need know who you're going to be rooting for. It's kind of just splits the crowd uh, off the rip. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but, oh, no, I thought it was a very good match. Um, and we will move on to a tag team match involving the horsemen. Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko are here, out here with Arn Anderson. Taking on Raven and Perry Saturn. Um, an interesting so they show a highlight of the uh of what led up to this match. And during the highlight where a match where Raven and Perry Saturn won, I think it was when they won the titles. Um you heard Raven's WCW music playing in the highlight, uh, after they won the match. But then when Raven and Perry Saturn come to the ring, and what is Perry Saturn wearing? But we'll talk about that. Um, Raven's theme music is his WWE theme music. Um, I don't know why they did that. Interesting, but whatever. Um, If you're going to take it out, then why would you just take it out of both or just use it? when he's coming to the ring, use the WCW one. Um, let's start with, I think it's Chris. No, we'll start with Pilch. Pilch is up here. Tag match. Benoit Malingo versus Raven and Perry Set. Yeah, so um, I first I thought Perry Setter was in a dress, and then I realized it had been cut on both sides. And I, I couldn't really describe what it was. And then uh, the Brian said he was wearing mud flaps. And I thought that was a perfect representation. <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't realize that Malenko and Benoit were in the horsemen at this point until they came out with Arn Anderson. And then, uh, you know, the whole crowd chants the horsemen suck, which, you know, it's good to see that some things never change. You know, you go from the mid 80s to <laughs> almost 2000 and everyone still hates the horsemen. So. Consistency as much as I am a fan of all three of those guys and as excited as I was when they reformed the Horsemen with Benoit, Malenko, Mongo, Flair, Arn Anderson, 
I don't know. What's that? I said that's not your favorite iteration of the Horseman. No, no, and I don't think it was a good iteration of the Horseman. Um, mind you, we didn't catch uh the early incarnate incarnations of the Horseman, but the 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 version that went into the Hall of Fame with Arn Tully Flair. Wyndham and JJ Dillon was probably my favorite. Hmm. Um, but it it just it was just a strange looking back on it now, like I enjoyed it then, but looking back at it now, it just looked it just looked weird. Right. Um for me. I can see that. Uh let's see. Uh the commentators made a claim that Charles Robinson is also a horseman, which I thought was interesting because he didn't really do anything. <laughs> That would make you think that. I just think they're looking for talking points. Um, as is every pay-per-view we watch, at least one person uh, studied at the school of the Macho Man Tag Academy, and this one was Perry Saturn, who consistently got in Charles Robinson's way and let Raven just get pummeled. Yeah, he was all over the place. Yep. Then there was the uh, the hot tag to Saturn. He came in and immediately just gets cracked in the head by Dean Malenko. Uh, Malenko <laughs> then puts him in a cloverleaf. Saturn gets the ropes, uh, gets out of it. He goes for his finisher, hits it, but then gets immediately headbutted by Chris Benoit. Then there's that weird sleeper move. Then he gets, you know, Dean gets kicked by Raven. You know, then Saturn gets out of it, gets a hot tag to Raven, clears Dean Malenko. That's when Arn Anderson gets involved, throws a chair in the ring. Uh, classic Chris Benoit move where he hits his head on a chair. I mean, I think he probably hit his head in the chair, you know, every match he was ever in. Uh, drop to hold to the chair. Perry Saturn goes through a table. Raven hits the even flow DDT on Malenko. Triple A gets another chair, another headbutt to Raven, and Benoit and Malenko won the match. Uh, I don't know what to really say about this match. I mean, it was it was good. No one was really bad. Um, you know, they, it seemed like they they had a good game plan going in. They told a good story. It's just, and I like all four people in this match. It just, I don't know. It just, it, I'm I'm trying to think back to like what I remember from it. Besides, like what I have written in my notes, and it's not much. So, I, I just like. It seems like it's kind of a consistent theme with the first, you know, what is this match number six where, you know, five out of these six matches were good, but like they weren't great. Yes. And totally. this one, this one like is the epitome of that. Like, you know, I like all four people. There wasn't wasn't like botches or weird run ins or anything I didn't like, but I can't really put my finger on anything I really did like either. So. You know, outside of Perry Saturn's, you know, wardrobe, which was, you know, a bold choice and I respect it. But other than that, yes. you know, it's it was a match. That's pretty much all I got. Chris, what do you got in this tag match? Uh the only thing I have is why in the world is Perry Saturn wearing a I don't know what you would call a corset? Like what do you like he's wearing a corset and a dress. Like what it's a waist is trainer. <laughs> waist trainer. Yeah. I just I don't what in the world. That's all. So for 
In the video package that they showed, most of the matches had him wearing this this waist trainer corset thing. Um, but then he gets in this match and for whatever reason just takes it right off. Wait, say that again. In the video package, Perry Saturn had this waist thing on almost all the time. But for whatever reason, when he gets into this match, he takes the thing right off when he's before the match starts. Right. Also, did you notice in the video package, like there's one time him and Raven do a run in and he's wearing the corset, but with jeans. Yes. Why? I'm sitting there thinking, oh, he's got a rib injury. He's trying to sell it. But he made sure to put the corset on. Nope, just wants to wear his corset. (sighs) Perry Saturn is just a strange man. Very, very strange. Oh, boy. That's where I started. uh, You know, I would... He was the one when he was in WWE and he was crazy. Uh, when he was talking to the mop, and Ooh, he would, Moppy, I remember Moppy, yeah, Moppy, and uh, he would randomly say, You're welcome to people. I thought it was Yahtzee. No, it was You're welcome. Oh. Uh, it, maybe it was Yahtzee too, but he was definitely saying, You're welcome. Um, but then, so that's when I started saying. Instead of like in parts where you would say thank you to people, I would say you're welcome first. Yeah. And just, I don't know, something I've just done ever since. And then I was pleasantly surprised when Damien Sandow started saying, You're welcome. Which, you know, was kind of a interesting little, little thing. Just don't mind me, whatever. Um, Yeah, this match... It was pretty straightforward, back and forth. Um, I've always liked the drop toe hold by on the chair by Raven. And if you want to know where Benoit got his CTE from, it was uh, just see that diving headbutt onto the chair. Yeah. Mm. Where I don't think it was a working spot. I think he's, you know, he could have just pretended and sold it and made it look like it. Nope. He said, I got to make sure this looks real. <laughs> Let me headbutt this chair real quick. Um, but the match itself was pretty straightforward, uh, and, and right to the point. So let's move on to our second title match of the evening. It is the finals of the U S title tournament. Scott Steiner taking on Booker T, uh, Chris. Yes. What do you have for this U.S. title match? Well, our favorite, Mr. Scott Steiner. Uh, I was really excited to hear some sort of promo, some sort of, you know, interview or, you know, hey, Scott, how do you feel about going into this match for the title? Nothing. No lead up promo. They didn't play. They played the actual matches from this tournament but they didn't uh no words of wisdom from old scotty steiner and the- so i so i know that you were going to be looking for a promo from scott steiner yeah 
So I reached out to our friend, oh Scott Steiner, and uh, asked, I asked him, what are your thoughts on the chances that you could beat Booker T in this match? And here's what he had to say. But then you take my 75% chance of winning if we used to go one-on-one and then add 66 and two-thirds percents. I got 141 and two-thirds chance of winning at sacrifice. But we're not. No, this isn't sacrifice, Scott. This is Stampede. Spring Stampede 1999. I don't know where he got sacrifice from, but. Well, he can't can't always be right. Uh, you know, this this is true. This is true. Um, but as a as a as a whole, this match, I mean, it was okay. It was it was you know pretty straightforward. Steiner Booker T match. Um, I did think they had a little bit of an overkill with the knocked out ref spot. They did it twice in a row. <laughs> Four refs got you are not lying. Got sandwiched once, like okay, they did it, and then you know Booker T gets a pin, in, but you know the ref's still knocked out, and you know got to wake the ref up. Then they get the ref up, and then they sandwich him another time. It's like why do yeah. we need two ref sandwiches? Yes, and uh, I mean kudos to the ref for selling that. He he really sold it that he was he was out cold, uh, but. I don't know. Yeah, it was the I mean, it was it was a pretty straightforward match. Um Scott Steiner gets the win and and he's the new United States heavyweight champ. Um So, I don't know. Yeah, it was a good match. Justin Pilcher, what do you got? Well, I learned something that uh, Scott Steiner hates women, children, and old people. So, you know, <laughs> this is true. He could not stand anybody on the outside. Doesn't like him. Uh, Chris, I'm surprised you didn't talk about this, but before the match started, we had 10 minutes of Scott Steiner just arguing at the crowd, and I loved every second of it. He'd, you know, <laughs> go up to some guy and like slap his beer out of his hand. Then he'd go up to like another guy and his girlfriend, and girlfriend would like feel up Scott Steiner and he'd yell at the guy, like, he, She's going home with you, but she wants to go home with a real man. Blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, he'd move on to another guy and, you know, slap the beer out of his hand. And this went on, this went on for like 10 minutes and it was all gold. Um, yeah, I must have. I don't know how I missed that. I don't know either. Then uh, Skiavone said that many of the ringside fans had a lobotomy before we arrived for the pay-per-view. So uh, he doesn't think very highly of the fans in Tacoma, Washington, apparently. Rather disrespectful of the fans in Tacoma, Washington. Uh you know, the match itself, I thought was pretty good. You know, I, I don't I don't know what else anyone else, you know, what else anyone could have expected from this. I mean, you know, we had uh, Booker T controlling the pace very early uh, to the point where Steiner asked for a timeout, which I thought was great. He rolls on the outside of the ring. Just timeout, timeout. Um, the, the weird thing about this is, you know, Scott Steiner hates refs. I mean, that's apparent. But there's there's two chair shots to Booker T, no disqualification. Scott Steiner hits him with a low blow, no disqualification. And then for whatever reason, he decides to, when he wins the match with the, the throat punch with the foreign object, 
he decides to hide it. Like, what does it matter? You've already you've already punched him in the balls. You've already hit him with the chair twice. Like, he's not going to disqualify you for this. Like, you know, I, I just thought that was a little strange. Um, I didn't know Big Papa Pump could still do a Frankensteiner. That surprised the hell out of me. I figured he was way too big to pull that off anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the ref got murdered in this match. He probably took the most punishment of any of the three of them. But... Yeah, dude, I, I liked it. I mean, I like Scott Steiner. I like Booker T. I thought the beginning promos were good. He, you know, he played up to the crowd really well. I mean, they absolutely hated him, which I think, you know, the sign of a good heel is just that. So, you know, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. And, um, I think they probably put the belt on the right guy. It seemed because Booker T was already the television champion at this point, I believe, right? Uh yeah, he had already went through the television champ championship. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, you know, it's I, good good to give Steiner the the U.S. title. Um, yeah, no, I liked it. I mean, I, the only thing that I'd be a little critical of, I guess, is, and it's not so much this match, but I just don't understand why it took so long to push Booker T to be the main event star that he ended up being. I mean, he his his ring work is so good, and you know the fans love him, and I I just don't know why they what management didn't see that everyone else clearly could so um yeah that's pretty much it yeah i i totally agree with that i actually had that in my notes um i wish they didn't wait as long to push booker t in wcw he didn't get his comeuppance really and win the world title until the absolute last nitro um, which I thought was a shame. I, I thought he had the goods. Uh, he showed what he can do as a single star um, here with Scott Steiner, uh, his work with the television championship. Um, I wish they would have realized that sooner, but you could, you could have said that about a lot of different uh, WCW guys, um, especially Jericho. Um, I did not understand the double ref bump, like Chris mentioned. Um, and then the uh, I also did not realize that Scott Steiner at this point, when he was Big Papa Pump, was still doing the Frankensteiner off the top. Um, and I'm not sure what that was in his tights. He just looked like he taped up a nail file or something ridiculous. It was a shank. Um, but he gets, it was a shank. It was probably, it was probably a shank. Uh, but he gets the win here, and he walks away uh, winning the u.s title um there was another there was a a little promo spot here after the match which i kind of dug um interview spot with ray mysterio for wcw.com um it looked like and i'm not sure i didn't go back to check but it looked like the setup for this was just in the arena is that right I don't remember this spot at all, so I couldn't tell you. So wherever, excuse me, wherever they the announcers were set up, it looked like they were just like in the same area, like that back area where the crowd isn't right before you get to the entryway. That's what it looked like. Maybe it wasn't. But if it was, uh, I just think that's a horrible spot to put it. But I do like the fact of the post-match interview spot for WCW, whether it was a shoot or if it was just a, a work. I don't remember what it was. Um, but let's get into the next contest. 
it is a rematch for uh, just for, I don't know, I guess Goldberg is getting his revenge. Because Kevin Nash ended his streak, took the title off of him with the help of uh, of uh, Scott Hall with the cattle prod. But it's Kevin Nash is out here with Lex Luger and Miss Elizabeth taking on Goldberg, who we, we definitely talked about on our pre-show Wednesday. Um, it's a Goldberg match. What do you want me to say? I don't know. <laughs> what do you want me to say? Um, let's start off with, let's see, Chris Pilch, Chris. Oh, so let's start off with Pilch. Pilch, what do you got? Goldberg, Kevin Nash. Uh, so <clears throat> Goldberg gets probably the loudest pop of the night here. I mean, <clears throat> say what you will about his in-ring skills. The guy was so over. It's just unbelievable. And this is this is true. One of the better entrances, in my opinion, too. I mean, you know, all the sparks and you know, inhaling all that stuff can't be good for anybody. You know, he spits yeah. it all back out like he's a dragon or something. I, you know, I love it, but probably not healthy. Um, this is during and Warren, you'd probably know more about this than I was. This is during like the Miss Elizabeth Lex Luger like affair, right? Uh, I don't know if it was an affair. Um, but they were, they were definitely, I think they were definitely something, uh, here, or maybe, maybe it started as on screen and then morphed into off screen. Um, but no, I think they, I think they were something here. Right. Um, you know, there's a, I think it was the Brian said like, why, why does everyone love wrestling so much? And. He's like, because there's no running in, in golf. I thought that was a good little jab at golf for some reason. I don't know. Uh, you know, typical Goldberg match, like you said, you know, Nash gets control early and then, you know, quickly loses it. Um, Goldberg speared the ref and then he gets hit by Luger with the chair and then he proceeds to just kill Lex Luger. Like he just destroyed him like he was a 10 pound baby, um, mm. you know, and then uh Hits Nash with the jackknife, and you know who's next? It's Goldberg. I mean, that's what he does. Yep, that's that's about it. Chris, what do you got? Goldberg and Kevin Nash. Uh, pretty straightforward Goldberg match, like you said. Um, I will say that Kevin Nash did a leapfrog in this, which I thought was the spot of the night. I couldn't believe it. Kevin Nash leapfrog Goldberg and didn't blow out both of his knees. I mean, that sounds like cream of the crop to me. But uh, the other thing that I noticed is why does Lex is Lex Luger wearing Kevin Nash's spare pants? I feel like those <laughs> pants were like ten sizes too big for Lex Luger. What's going on? I just I just didn't understand. And I know they were in the wolf bag at this time, but I didn't understand why Lex Luger needed to be out here. Yeah, I don't know. Well, they're the wolf pack. You know, they travel in a pack. I paid him too much money, and they can't not afford to put him in somewhere. Right. I guess. That's got to be it. Um, Got it. But, yeah, that's all I got for that one. So, uh, I think the only other thing that I really had was Goldberg looked gassed about four minutes into this match. And for reference, the match only went seven, only went almost eight minutes. 
So about halfway through, he was just about done, and he managed to scrape up enough energy to do uh, his spear and jackknife at the end. And I uh, sent prayers up for Kevin Nash's quads when he did this leapfrog because I thought he was a goner. Um, <laughs> he he did me, it pretty well. I mean, a lot better he than made I was made it out alive by all means um so we are we have reached the main event of the evening it is a four corners match to one finish for the WCW World Heavyweight title Rick Flair Diamond Dallas Page Hollywood Hulk Hogan and the man known as Sting with special guest referee Macho Man. And he's out here with uh, Gorgeous George. Um, I did. I remembered the Gorgeous George being in the uh, on Team Madness. Um, I didn't realize that this was going to be her first uh, or debut in WCW uh, with the Macho Man. But I did throw her in the Google machine, and she, uh, in her very short wrestling career, she also came out to uh, ring names such as George, uh, George Frankenstein, and also Minsa. Wow. I don't know what George Frankenstein is, but uh if I may, I also went in and looked up Gorgeous George and her real life spouse's name from 2001 to 2013 was Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein. That was his real name. So who is Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein? Oh, it's a. Hold on, no, that's not who that. That's not who I think it is. He is a guitarist for the band The Misfits. Oh, oh I've heard of The Misfits. Yeah. When I see his picture, because he has his face painted, I was like, "Oh, it's Vampiro," but it's not Vampiro. <laughs> no, not that is. I just looked up his picture too. That is definitely not Vampiro. But like, first, like first glance, you're like, oh, it's a Vampiro. Glance, absolutely. Um, but not nearly as many tattoos, at least in during this picture, as right. uh, as one Vampiro. Um, but guy's Jack though. He could be a wrestler. He could be a wrestler. He's, I mean, he's only 56 right now. So, so there's still time. I mean, still if, time. If the butcher's doing it. <laughs> yeah. This, this is true. This is true. Uh, what else you got, Chris? Um, what else do I have? I thought it was weird that Macho Man is the special guest referee for this uh, for this matchup. Like, kind of like again, WCW did this thing. Like, they had all these big names, and they have to fit them in to the card somehow. 
because I'm sure they were demanding that they be on the card, but then it's like they didn't fit into the storyline anywhere. So it's just like, all right, well, you're just going to accompany this person out and then you're going to be a referee and like you're going to like they just they were running out of things to put these guys in when they're demanding to have a spot on the show. So I think that's kind of what happened here. Um, and then so the match go is going, you know, typical four way match. It's a lot of chaos, a lot of, you know, people switching off on who they're who they're beating up. And I think DDP yep. did a very good job at like hanging back, letting because Hogan gets hurt pretty early. And I know I brought this up earlier before we were recording, but I didn't know if at first I thought this is a work, you know, this yeah. is, you know, Hogan playing the injury card. He's going to come back later, you know, sneak in and like sneak a win or something. but. Mm-hmm. Then him going out and then Bischoff coming out to check on him. I think at that point I was like, maybe this isn't a work. Because I think Bischoff looked very, he actually looked legitimately concerned about Hogan. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I guess we would have to effort it to figure it out if it was a work or not, but he did not return to the match, which le- also leads me to think this was not a work. This was, this was, you know, it was, it was a legit injury. Um, possible to that, uh, you know, the figure four that sting slapped on him in the, in the post. <laughs> um, I just think oh, Hogan's knees, you know, at this age, I don't think they are, they were, they're what they used to be. So I, it could very well be a, legitimate injury um and then what else ddp hanging back letting uh letting letting sting and 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 flair go at it you know saving his energy i thought that was very smart by ddp um also when they were all knocked out on the canvas and macho man started the 10 count i mean Mm -hmm. he just any excuse to flex macho man is flexing the way he like ripped his arms up to like squeeze or do the one, and I just thought it was really funny how he counted to like get a quick flex in there with every count up. One hundred percent. And then, so we, we you go through the match, and you know things are ha- you know naturally happening. Flair gets the figure four locked on Sting. Sting crawls to the rope to break it. And then Macho Man drags them back to the center of the ring. Doesn't break it. And then delivers an elbow drop to Flair? Which I was like, I just didn't understand what was happening yeah i didn't understand why what what was what was in it for macho man by having ddp win the title what was in it for macho man for like not i don't know like why not break it why not make him break it you left him in this figure four to attack flair but like, why? If you didn't want Flair to win because you attacked him, you gave him an elbow drop. 
why let him why drag them back to the center of the ring while he's still in the figure four? Maybe it's just to keep him occupied. I don't know. It just didn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't understand that uh, that spot either. Um, I mean, I always enjoyed doing seeing the Macho Man do an elbow drop, and especially in WCW, uh, he was so jacked up his elbow drops were breaking people's ribs. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really just didn't make sense yeah, to me as to why no... he did it. What was his like? You said what was his motivation? For right. Doing what was the motivation? What was the end goal? Like, what are you getting out of it? It just didn't. I, I like even if it was just like he didn't want Flair to be the champion, fine. You don't want Flair to be a champion, but why let him keep the figure four on Sting? Break it, yeah, or break it early, or something. Yeah. You know, help Sting roll over and reverse, reverse the pressure. Like, if you're gonna be doing the stuff to like cheat Flair, like do the stuff to cheat Flair, but don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't. Maybe he didn't want Sting to win either. Maybe he just wanted DDP to win. But then, the, if you wanted DDP to win, like that should have been somehow part of the story, and it wasn't. Yeah. Just, yeah. No, I agree it, with that. It didn't make any sense. I agree with that. Um. So Pilch. Uh. I mean, Chris pretty much said it all here. Yeah. The, I guess here's my the situation, thought... Pilch. Huh? I said, here's the situation. Okay. I got you down three runs right now. I'm down three runs? You're down three runs. So, let's see if you can, uh, let's see if you can catch up here. Uh, I doubt it. I don't really have a whole heck of a lot to say. So, oh, you, you'd be surprised. So there's a uh, there's certain moves that happen throughout wrestling where it, WCW loves to like talk about them, and they're not all that spectacular. I, I I bring it back to the Steiner line, right? Like, oh, he just hit a Steiner liner, and in this <laughs> particular match, it's the the Stinger Splash. You know, all all Sting does. Okay. Is, he just jumps on a guy in the turnbuckle, and it's always, oh, he just hit him with the stinger splash. He's, it's over. It's like, no, he's, he's fine. He's still walking around. If Sting was like, if Sting was like, say, the size of Mark Henry, would the stinger splash be more exciting? Oh, for sure. Because yeah. that's like a giant, you know, mountain of a man smashing into somebody this is right. just you know keith lee small... doing stinger splash right right right. this is the you know the second smallest guy in the ring hitting a stinger splash it's just, right i don't know right i don't buy it um I, I i also thought the macho man elbow drop was weird but the way i interpreted it was you know that macho man's always gonna steal the spotlight and I think he, as soon as Hogan left, he was like, all right, it's all me. Like, it's time for me to, to shine. Because <laughs> Hogan's been stealing my spotlight for years. This is my turn. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, flexing during the ring counts. Great. Um, I just, I had such high expectations for this match because of the names involved. You know, we have arguably... And no offense to Diamond Dallas Page, but we have three of arguably the top 
10 wrestlers of all time in this match. And Diamond Dallas Page is no slouch in his own right. And it's just, it, it, it falls flat. I mean, I like the fact that DDP won, you know, he hit the diamond cutter on flair out of nowhere. You know, that's, he, he had a great game plan going in. Like Chris said, you know, he hung back, kind of let the whole match unfold after Hogan left. And, you know, I just, I guess I just expected more. Um, I did not effort my research with uh, Gorgeous George because she did literally nothing in this match and thought it was pretty inconsequential to talk was about. She, was she still out there during the yeah. match? I don't but remember she, seeing yeah, her. She, was, she stayed out she there the entire time, and then she walked when the match was over, she walked back with Macho. Right? Oh. Yeah, she okay. was there. Just uh, didn't see her. Did nothing. Yeah. Um, and again, I, th- I think it's based on the point I had before. It's like, you know, the WCW payroll at this point is so inflated that it's like, well, we don't have a match for Flair or Hogan or Sting or Macho Man. So let's just throw them in a ring and see what happens. Yeah. You know, that was pretty much well, how well, came just, about. Let's, let's get them on the pay-per-view and we'll figure out how we're going to use them later. Right. And, you know, I think this could have been a really good match if they would have like, this, if, if there was ever a match to have a video package before it to tell us how we got here, this would have been the one, and we didn't yeah. have that. <laughs> so, like, yeah. you don't know who, who to root for. I don't know how Flair got the belt. Like, last I knew, um, between these two, you know, before this pay-per-view was the Finger Poke of Doom, right? Um, so it was the Finger Poke of Doom. So Nash beats Goldberg. On Starcade with the uh, cattle prod. Right. January 4, 1999, uh, a whole eight days after the after Starcade, we do, we get the finger poke of doom. Right. So Hogan's the champ again. Then a whole 69 days after that, Flair wins the title at Uncensored in a first blood barbed wire steel cage match. Uh, he's got it for a whole 28 days before he defends it here in his four corners match where diamond Dallas page wins. I, so I just, this just came to me and do you think that macho was supposed to keep Hogan from winning the belt instead of flair? Um, because that would make I don't a lot more think sense. So. I don't think so, only because uh, Hogan went out with the injury early and uh, and didn't come back. But I think that goes to what Chris was saying is, did he leave early because it was a work or did he leave early because he was actually hurt? Uh, see, that's a good question. And I'm not and I'm not entirely sure either way. Um, so that's why I, I don't think I could say that the reason Macho Man got involved was to keep the title off of Hogan because Hogan wasn't even a factor by the time Macho Man ended up getting involved. Right. Up until then, he he played it pretty straight, other than I mean, other than his, his incessant need for flexing. Um for sure. Played it pretty straight and was and was uh you know a decent special guest referee at least. Yeah, I mean, 
That that would be my only thought is maybe that was the plan all along to have Macho interfere on Hogan, and then when Hogan got hurt, they had to fix it on the fly, and you know mm-hmm. maybe it just didn't make as much sense. I don't know. I'm grasping at straws mm-hmm. here. I mean, it's WCW. Who knows? <laughs> um, one thing I did uh, just as we were talking, go back and look at was uh, see, I rem the the WCW World Title win that I remember a page is when he was when he won and he was celebrating with the fans. Right. Um, I think he might even won it on Nitro. Um. But that was, I think, the th- this was his first time winning the world heavyweight title, and there was little to any fanfare about it. See, I um, thought this was the one where he went out into the crowd and like celebrated with the crowd, but I guess not. That one. Trying to remember when that one was. I don't remember when that one was. I thought that was on Nitro, wasn't it? That one I want to say was on Nitro. Maybe it was. His second one, because hmm. his next title win was on Nitro. Yeah. And it was in a four corners match with Nash and Goldberg. Who was the other person? Oh, he beat Sting. Duh, because Sting was the champ. Um, with Sting, Nash, and Goldberg. Um, but I swore that, that Macho Man was involved in it, but maybe I was wrong. Um, I want to say that was the one where he went into the crowd and celebrated, right. and even though he only had that run, that title for uh, 13 days. So <laughs> long, here, long reign. He, he, had, he has this title for 15 days, then he has another one here for 13, so two title runs, and he's less than 30 days, less than a month of holding the title. Poor DDP. Yep. And then his third one is much later. Well, it's good April twenty fourth. <laughs> um. So yeah, that was the pay per view. The EP is uh, victorious. He uh, wins the heavyweight title. Um. Any final thoughts uh, from either of you guys? Uh, I mean, not really. <laughs> okay. Kind of got it all. Chris, do you think you got it uh, all? Yeah, I think I got it all. That's what okay. I needed to say. So now we have a bit of a situation because you guys are tied. Oh, boy. Damn it. Tied at 20 points. Oh, I hate it when that happens. So here's what I'm going to do. So we know. Let's see. How are we going to do this? Okay. So we know after this happens, Diamond Dallas Page is going to have a second title reign very soon. It's still in the same month. He wins the title on April 11th, loses it, and then wins it again on April 26th. He lost the title on that same Nitro earlier in the in the uh, on the show. Who did he lose it to? Uh, Sting? Chris, do you have an answer? Wait, say the question again. So we know Diamond Dallas Page wins the the uh, title here at Spring Stampede. Mm-hmm. He loses it 
uh, 15 days later on Nitro, but wins it back later that night on the same Nitro. Who did he lose it to? Bilch said Sting. Yes. You can pick David Arquette. He's out there. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I'll go Flair. We're still a few years away from David Arquette. That's too bad. Uh, thank, thank goodness, actually. But yes, it was Sting. And I can't figure out the circumstances as to why Sting wins, but then it goes into a, a four corners match where Diamond Dallas Page wins. But whatever. Sting wins. Pilch gets the victory here for this pay per view. So, Warren, do you know who Diamond Dallas Page dropped the belt to after this, the next time he won it? Um, I do only because I have the wiki open. Hmm? I do only because I have the wiki open. Oh, well then, you want to tell the crowd? Oh, I thought you were saying that you knew. No, I, I know. Oh, you know. Okay. So uh, 13 days after he has his second title run, he loses it to Kevin Nash at Slamboree. Mm-hmm. And then Randy Savage beats him at Bash at the Beach. Beats Kevin Nash at Bash at the Beach, July 11, 1999. He has it for one day before he loses it to Hulk Hogan on Nitro the very next night. So who who beat Diamond Dallas Page on April 24th, 2000 to win the WCW championship. April 24, 2000. Mm-hmm. That would be the ridiculous David Arquette. Bingo. <sighs> so Chris was right. He was just a couple of years early or a year. Early. That's what I said. It was a little, little too ahead of it for David Arquette. Um, Let's get to some. No, first let's do. Uh, what's your? Oh, I don't have that drop. I don't have the woo drop. Oh well. What? What? Uh, how many woos are we giving this pay per view? Let's start with Chris. <sighs> this pay per view, I'm gonna give. Uh, I'm gonna give three, three woos, three woos. It's a solid performance. Uh, Pilch, what do you got? Yeah, I I would be about the same. I think three is a good number. I mean, it's not not the best, not the worst. Um, you know, I think every match was decent except for one. Um, I don't think there was a mm-hmm. great match, really. It just it was all right. 
Yeah, I think I'm kind of I'm kind of there with you guys, right in the middle of the road. Three woos for this. Uh, the the cruiserweight title match is probably my favorite. Um, and since Scott Steiner Booker T as well, um, the really only quote unquote bad match I'd say would be Scotty Riggs and might be Mikey Whipwreck because it just didn't need to be there. Um, but the rest of the matches were entertaining. Uh, and um, it wasn't a chore to get through by any means, um, as opposed to some other pay-per-views that we've watched here on the Triple R podcast. Um, do we have any awards that are going out? Uh, yeah, I'm going to give the uh, unripe bananas to the Scotty Riggs, Mikey Whipwreck match. Don't buy any unripe bananas yet. I don't think we're ever going to top that match for the right bananas. Yeah, I don't think uh, it's gonna work. There's it's gonna no way. Uh, Chris, do you have a cream of the crop? I'm going to go Hooventud and Blitzkrieg. I think that was the most exciting match of the night. They did a great job pumping up the crowd, getting them ready for this paper. Cream of the crop! So I'm, I'm giving it to the opener. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Uh, Pilch, what do you got? Do you have any uh, awards for this? My awards are the exact same. Uh, I don't. I think it's actually. I don't know how you could pick two other ones. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, I don't think. I mean, maybe, maybe the for me the Mysterio match would be my uh, the cream of the crop. But I mean, it's it's either or. Um, the rest of the matches were good outside of the right bananas for Scotty Riggs and uh, Mikey Whipwreck. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's it. I think that's about it. Um, thank you guys as always for joining us. Thank uh, you, Chris, and you, Pilch, for joining us as well. Um. The particulars, we are on all forms of social media, IG, Facebook, and Twitter. We are all at at Triple R Pod. The website is www.triplerpodcast.com. Email the real Triple R Podcast at gmail.com. Download, subscribe to us on any and all podcast apps, Apple, uh, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, the Spotify, uh, download some RSS codes if you'd like, uh, subscribe, rate, review, uh, drop us a line on the, the old email or on social suggestions uh comments concerns otherwise uh hit us up and uh and like i said thank you uh chris and pilch for being here anytime thanks for having me warren here we go uh we'll see you guys on wednesday for another pre-show uh enjoy the rest of your week <laughs>